And praise the Lord. And this is Pastor Adams, the president and founder of Truth Matters Ministries. Thank the Lord once again for being able to come into your homes. Maybe you're listening in your automobile. But no matter where we found you, we're just so thankful uh, that you've given us the privilege to teach and to share the word of God. And we're so delighted that we've had an opportunity to share over uh, the last few weeks a podcast that have been entitled Inerrancy of Scripture, very important area to be able to val- to validate and to affirm the real re- reliability of God's Word. And uh, we also went through a few series and episodes concerning effective evangelism. I believe evangelism and our participation and our ability to execute evangelism is so crucial in these hours. And we're going to be moving into another very important area, and it's entitled Salvation Principles, Soteriology, or Salvation Principles. And before we get into this exposition on Salvation Principles, we, as our customers, want to pause and pray. Now, Father, once again, we thank you for life. We thank you for every person who's actually tuned in and joined and participated in this podcast Lord, we count it a privilege to be able to give them meat in due season. We thank you, Lord, as you said in your word, you asked Peter, you said, Peter, do you love me? And he said, yes, I love you, Lord. And then you told him to feed the lambs. And then you asked him again, you said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. And you said, feed my sheep. And on the third time you said, Peter, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know all things. He said, feed my lambs. And one of the great indicators of your love for God is, are you feeding the sheep? Are you sharing the word with them? Are you giving them meat in due season that they might grow thereby? The Bible says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that they might grow thereby. And Lord, we thank you today for your word. We thank you today for just your diligence. We thank you for your steadfastness. You bless every soul that the body of Christ might be equipped and how to share and how to really communicate salvation to a lost and dying world. And Lord, that person that is in search of truth, that's in search of life, that person that is hungering and thirsting for righteousness, fill his cup with your word. Fill his cup with your righteousness. Fill his cup with your love. Let him, Lord God, be able to reach out and receive the gift from you, the King of Kings, eternal life. It's in Christ Jesus' name we pray. And we're so mindful in this Truth Matters podcast, the words that were spoken by Blaise Pascal. Blaise Pascal said that truth is so obscure in these days. And he says falsehoods are so well established. He said that unless we love the truth, we can't even know it. We can't even distinguish it between wheat and chaff. It's sometimes hard to discern between even things like margarine and butter. But today, we want the Word of God to be so succinct that they will be able to make a distinction. We're mindful of the words that were spoken by Adam Schiff as he was giving his final remarks in the Donald Trump impeachment hearings, Adam Schiff said, right matters. Truth 
matters. Without truth, he said we're lost. And today, indeed, truth does matter. And so as we get into our podcast today on salvation principles, I have a few questions I'd like to ask. And before I ask these questions, I believe that it's worth saying that out of all the dis- the topics that we discuss, it's the most important and most often misunderstood is what is salvation? How are, how do you get saved? How do you know if you're saved? How do you communicate salvation? How does one person appropriate salvation? Our experience in living teaches us one consistent thing. And you know what that is? That everyone is going to die. Everyone. I often think of persons who back in Egypt, they built the pyramids. I marvel at those who built the Great Wall of China and those persons who built the Taj Mahal. I began to look around the world and I wonder who were those ones who actually built the Colosseums of Rome. I also consider the persons who are spoken of in the Bible, men such as Adam and Moses, Abraham and Job and Isaiah, persons such as Daniel and Mary, Peter, Paul and John. I even thought of all the persons who were living and signed the American Declaration of Independence. Where are they today? Where's Napoleon and Alexander the Great, those great men of history such as Hannibal and King Louis VIII, Confucius and so many people that we've encountered in the history such as Adolf Hitler and the prophet Muhammad and Karl Marx, Albert Einstein and Winston Churchill. What are they? I've personally lived during the years of many people that I loved or admired, such as Martin Luther King and Red Fox, Bob Hope, Lucille Ball, Bing Crosby. Others come across my mind, such as Sammy Davis Jr., the great football coach George Hallis, Vince Lombardi, Ray Charles and Barry White, Dr. James Cleveland, President Reagan, Elvis Presley, Malcolm X and Wilt Chamberlain, JFK and Jr. Where are they? I thought of the young singer Aaliyah and the football player Reggie White. Where's Princess, Princess Diana and Luther Vandross, Lou Rawls and Peter Jennings, Coretta Scott King, Gerald and Sean Levert, Red Arabic. Where's Gerald Ford and Soul Brother Number One James Brown, Sean Taylor, Prime Minister Buto, and the comedian Bernie Mac. Where's Isaac Hayes and Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher, Edward Koch and Deacon Jones, comedian Jonathan Winters, Joyce Brothers, and Ken Norton. Where's Nelson Nelson Mandela and Maya Angelou, the comedian Robin Williams? the great singer Whitney Houston and Prince, President George Bush. How about Michael Jackson, Doris Day, Diane Carroll, and Kobe Bryant? Where are they today? They're all dead. And in the words of Dr. Walter Martin, he said the death rate is one per person. And you know what? We're all going to make it. 
Every day in this world, 150 people die and are being instantly transported to heaven or to hell. Experience in scripture affirms that we all will die. But the larger question is, since we all physically die, what happens to us when we die? So many people believe that we cease to exist when we physically die. Others insist that we go to a place called purgatory. That's a very popular teaching within Roman Catholicism. Some embrace reincarnation or transmigration as the state of the dead. Many consider that there is going to be a poltergeist wandering existence. They say that that's possibly plausible. Then there are those who believe that we go to heaven or hell. Now, I'm thankful that you listening to this Truth Matters podcast have the opportunity to know exactly what happens to a person when they die and why. I've been present during some of and have learned that when people are in the 11th hour of their life, when they're on their deathbed, the final things that people speak on their deathbed are the most important and sometimes the most revealing things about that person. History records some of the last words of notable persons when they were within their 11th hour. I found this so surprising. I know that many of you've heard of Queen Elizabeth I. This is what she said on her deathbed. She says, I'd give all of my possessions for just one more moment of time and she died. Ludwig Beethoven, the great, I guess you could say a ranger, a musician. When he was on his deathbed, he says, life is ending too bad, too bad, but it's too late. And he died. The great psychologist Sigmund Freud, when he was dying, he made this admission. He says, The meager satisfaction that man can extract from reality leaves him starving at death, and he died. Philip III, who was the king of France, this is what he said when he was dying. His heart was starting to stop. His respirations were ending. He said, what an account shall I give to God? How I wish I would have lived otherwise than the way I lived. Grotius, on his deathbed, he said this publicly. He says, I've lived my life in a laborious doing of nothing. I begin to think about what Philip III, the king of France, said. He says, I wish I would have lived my life otherwise than the way I lived it. There are so many of you who are listening to this podcast today. You may be shoulder to shoulder with Philip III saying they have COVID-19 going on in the world. I've lived my life in such a dastardly way. I've not lived to my full potential. I've lived in rebellion. I've made mistakes. I've ruined my health. I've got addicted to opioids. I've ruined relationships. I had great aspirations in my life. I wish I would have lived my life otherwise than the way I lived it. 
And then there are others who stand shoulder to shoulder with Grotius. And you say, you know what? There's so many things that I had intended to do. I had such great intentions. I had such goals. And the old saying is true is that the pathway to death is filled with good intentions. And most of us, we are on a treadmill and we go in day in and day out and we never get to a point in our lives to where we really begin to find life with God. We live in what is called the territory of alibis. Well, I'll get to it tomorrow. I'll get to it the next day. The reason I haven't done it yet is because of this and because of that. And just like Grotius, you live your life in a laborious doing of nothing that really amounts to anything. In the very famous artist named Leonardo da Vinci, this is what he said on his deathbed. He said, I have offended God and mankind. Because my work did not reach the quality that it should have. What about you and my listening audience today? Has your life reached the quality that it should have? Have you offended God? Have you been half-stepping? Have you been procrastinating? Have you been living on Alibi Boulevard? Have you been making excuses? Have you been evasive? Have you been stiff-arming the things of God? Well, it's time to make a change. Here's the words of men who were Christians. D.L. Moody, the great evangelist out of Chicago, Illinois, said on his deathbed, I see earth receding. I see heaven opening up. And I can see God is calling me. And then Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, when he was on his deathbed, he says, Into thy hands I commend my spirit. Thou hast redeemed my soul, O God of a truth. Now those who approached their appointment with death had contrasting emotions and fears based upon their belief and their status with God, or whether they were Christians. Those who lived outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ were filled with regret and fear. What about you today? What about you who are listening? Are you living in regret and fear? But those who were saved had hope. They had peace and fulfilled promises of eternal life. Since most want to have peace and eternal life, Let's explore how to obtain salvation and to discover what salvation or soteriology really is. Now, to understand properly, we have to examine the events that occurred with the first human being, Adam. God created a man and gave him a wonderful planet for his home. God tells Adam in Genesis 2.17 that he can eat from all the trees but one. Adam was commanded to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'm sure you all heard this story, but we're going to repeat it again. God said, when you eat from that tree, you're going to die. It's the Hebrew word muath, which means die, die. You're going to die, die. God provided Adam a helpmeet, a companion 
who was named Eve. Satan enticed her through the beast and deceived her and, and deceived her into disobeying what God commanded. Now, Eve ate the fruit from the forbidden tree, and then she beguiled Adam, and he also ate, and mankind became spiritually dead. Man became a disobedient sinner by nature. Man's relationship with God was severed. Man became a rebellious, and his thoughts were evil continually. Man produced sin-stained and rebellious children or offspring. We all are descendants of Adam's. He is our prototype, and as our prototype, we all suffer the penalty of sin, of the sin nature that's passed down from Adam generation to generation. Don't fool yourself. The Bible says that sin stinks in God's nostril, and sin must be paid for <coughs> excuse me according to Romans 6 and 23 it says for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord now what is sin what is sin sin is defined as an offense rebellion or transgression against God's laws the Greek equivalent is hamartia it means a missing of the mark disobedience, error, or iniquity. See, the residue of sin is a destruction of purpose. That's the main residue of sin. What sin does, it destroys and it intercedes and destroys our purpose. God had a purpose for Adam. God had a purpose for mankind. But sin came in and he derailed and destroyed the purpose. As we analyze this corrosive and defeating agency or phenomena called sin, we must understand its capricious and eroding origin. You know, today, very it's very few people who even are popular across the country. I look at so many people on TBN and on the word networks and so many people, they get on there and all they talk about is prosperity. And when you get born again, you're coming in union with Christ. And now you have Jesus Christ, this person who's going to be your best friend. And he's going to rub your head and wipe away your tears. And he's going to make sure that you have plenty. He's going to make you the head and not the tail. He's going to cause you to go up the corporate ladder. He's going to allow you to be in a position to where you're going to be prospered and you're going to have great materialism and wealth in the world. And now all we hear about is everything that God is going to give you. And we've got to a place today to where we don't really seek God's face, but we seek his hands because we want to get something from God. We're not looking for Jesus Christ because all we want is the things that he can give us. We don't want to have thorns and we don't want to bear crosses but we want to have crowns on our head and we want to seek all the things that come as a byproduct jesus christ is not what we call our end we consider jesus to be nothing but a means to our end People don't want to talk about sin anymore. People don't want to preach about hell no more. People don't want to talk about unrighteousness and the wrath of God anymore. But if you're going to be saved and if you're going to walk with God, you've got to come out of sin. You've got to make a decision of which side you're on. The line is draw. If you're going to serve God, serve him. If you're going to serve Baal, serve him. But it's so important today that we understand that it's so amazing that modern people today don't want to preach about sin. 
that most people possess the proclivity to identify sin as being an overpowering enticement from the devil or Satan. Humanity resists the inclination that they are the source of sin and adopt what is called a Flip Wilson methodology. Whenever they have sin or whenever they have a transgression or they step outside of God's law, they begin to find an excuse. It's the same thing that happened in the garden. When Adam sinned, the Bible says that God was looking for him and he was walking through the garden in the cool of the day. And he said, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? And he said that this woman, if the reason that I'm, I'm naked today is because this woman, she made me eat the fruit. And that's how we are today. We never want to acknowledge that we're the one that's at fault. We're the one that's culpable for our status. We're the one that's responsible for our rebellion and sin. And the first thing that we do is we we do like Flip Wilson said, well, the devil made me do it. Adam, when confronted with the fact that he rebelled, transgressed, he missed the mark and he erred and disobeyed, disobeyed and he began to deflect ownership of his sin. It must be owned and it must be acknowledged. Mankind must not only acknowledge his guilt, but the reality that he directly and destroyed God's purpose for his life. It is amazing that modern Bible teachers today, so many of them rarely illuminate the derailed purpose of Almighty God. God created the universe for man. He created all things not for a power show or for some supernatural demonstration to show how powerful he was. He had his love and purpose for mankind in his heart and in his view. He prepared an everlasting dwelling place, heaven on earth. He created man in the garden of this sinless paradise. Man was created with all authority and the unique design of being made in God's image. God made creeping things, fowls and animals and fish of the sea. They were not in God's image. And they don't have the ability to even disobey God. But God desired to establish a relationship with a being of a different quality and essence. He made man in his image with the ability to disobey, but not the right to disobey. Say it again, Pastor Adams. He made man in his image with the ability to disobey, but he did not have the right to disobey. Many ask, why did God allow a serpent to abide in the garden to even tempt mankind? Didn't it seem like God was sort of making sure that he predestinated what was going to happen? Didn't he sort of push Adam and Eve into rebellion and disobedience? Why would he even put a a serpent there in a tree there to even tempt man? Why did God even place restrictions on what man could do that caused man to even possibly disobey? God made man with the ability to disobey. But since God desired a yielded love relationship with man, man could only know if he was truly walking in love with God by his sacrifice and commitment to please God through obedience to the tenets of their relationship. The violation of the agreement with God severed their relationship and revealed that man centered his affection and dedication to what seemed beneficial to himself rather than what was beneficial in the relationship with God. This is still the exact dynamic that we see in lives today. 
Man fell into sin and became more pernicious and callous and selfish and became more devious and hateful and wrathful and filthy and crafty, being shaped more into the image of Satan. Sinful man's new spiritual father was the devil. Sin opened the floodgates of calamity and depravity in every evil work. This earth became cursed and sinful and it abode in it shattered God's purpose of having the center of his affection mankind live in an eternally joyous paradise in communion with him now here's the consequences and the penalty of disobedience is destruction and death death of purpose death of relationships death of character death of vision death of authority, death of unity, the destruction of peace, the destruction of joy, of power, destruction of integrity, destruction of humility and proper priority, the destruction of devotion and the destruction of service to God. This world has been cursed with sin as a result of man's disobedience. This is the proliferation of crime and disease and murder and terrorism. How could God punish or eradicate sin and the couriers of sin? He created a place called the lake of fire or hell to punish and separate sin. God who was love could not fellowship or be in union with sin. So he and the apple of his eye mankind were separated by sin. So today we're so thankful for you taking time and listening to this Truth Matters podcast. And one thing I'm going to ask you to do is make sure that you be attentive and make an effort to listen to all of these podcasts on salvation, because this is the most important thing for you to know. It's the most important thing for you to really embrace and appropriate is what must I do to be saved? And over the upcoming podcast, we're going to let you know exactly what you need to know to be saved. So we thank you for tuning in. And one thing I always say, that there are some things that are priorities in life. And then there are other things that don't matter. But rest assured, the truth, it always matters. God bless you. Thank God for you taking time to attend this Truth Matters broadcast. Until we can speak again, God bless you.